thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I, of course, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined each and every week by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. So the UFC is actually off this week. So unfortunately, we do not have any fights to preview for you guys as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. But we are giving you a special combat countdown. We love bringing the combat countdown in these down weeks. So we are going to be breaking down our top five, with an honorable mention, but top five countries that we think will be the next to have their first ever champion. That's right. A lot of new countries recently got their first ever champion born in that country. Cameroon recently, obviously, with Francis Ngannou. We've got Russia, who who came up in the last few years. Nigeria, Australia. We're going to be breaking down the five that we think are next on that list. So you're going to want to make sure to tune into that. I'm also talking with two of the fighters who will be fighting in two weeks. That's right, not this weekend, but in two weeks. First, I'm going to be talking with John Macdessey as he talks about moving his camp to Arizona. He's going to tell me a little bit of the thought process behind that and what led to him heading down south. And we're going to be talking with Hunter Azure about his preparation for his upcoming fight as well. But before we get into any of that great content, i got to remind you that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for avid sports bettors, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting, so head on over to betterthan.vegas, and from there you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests. Look, you already read and listen to a lot of these people's opinion, so why not get the picks that they like straight from their mouth and in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there now, you can check out some of my previous picks, some of Shockwave Dave's previous picks, and we'll, of course, have them for you guys for upcoming contests as well. So make sure you subscribe to the Top Turtle MMA page over there. And, hey, maybe if you got something to say yourself, start your own profile, drop some videos. You can do that all, once again, at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is John McDizzy, who fights Ignacio Brahamones at UFC in the Apex on April 10th. So, John, when we were setting up this interview, you mentioned to me that you were you're prepping for this fight out in Phoenix, Arizona. I know your training camps have, have moved around over the years and been in a couple of different places, but can you tell us a little bit about what your training situation is in Arizona right now? Um, yeah, so uh, basically at Phoenix, Arizona, I found I've been uh, very happy over here. Uh, surrounded by good people and uh, yeah man just good connection good vibes so I don't overthink it and and what is the training camp specifically that you're working out because I know that there's a couple of gyms out there is, is it a collection of gyms or is there just one place that you're training uh, well it's mostly um, UKF uh, collaboration with MMA Lab Oh, awesome. So so you're getting in some work, too, with the, the MMA lab guys fairly often as well? Because I know there's a bunch of them that had just recently fought many close to your weight. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I got a lot of good bodies to, to move with uh, to kind of uh, mimic my uh, next opponent. Also, uh, I connected with uh, um, 
a Mexican guy over here. He lives in Arizona named Javier Torres. He has his own gym. So, you know, I'm just surrounded by good guys, good vibes, and just trying to get prepared the best in my abilities. Well, I love that, and I love that you're mixing it up, too. I'm curious, what, what led you down to there? Was there a connection you had made with somebody previously? Uh, had you just, you know, on a whim decided to go check out some places? What what led you to Phoenix, Arizona? Um, well, I was always a big fan of Ben Henderson, and uh, he's a great, uh, great, great mentor. So uh, I, I came here last year, and I was very happy with everything. So, uh, you, know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to make it my second home. I love it. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this upcoming fight against Rahamones because you mentioned you got some bodies there that are good at mimicking him, and, and he is kind of a unique guy. He's, he's the type of fighter you don't see too many of. He's, he's kind of more of a, a sniper. He's a super lanky guy. What, what did you think when the UFC originally offered you Ignacio Rahamones? Well, the way it is, you know, with the UFC, it's like, uh, you know, rolling the dice. The, the UFC, is, it's all about, you know, uh, come come first, come serve. So, they're gonna, you know, I mean, I'm not really thinking too much of my opponent. I'm just thinking of getting uh, my mentally, physically ready for uh, for my next challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I truly believe in my heart. I, I fought the top lightweights in the division. I fought the toughest guys. And uh, I don't think he ever fought someone like me before. Well, you certainly have fought some of the biggest names in the division. You fought, I mean, Cowboy Cerrone, you know, Ross Pearson, Yancey Medeiros, and, and all of those guys, you know, sort of when they were hitting their prime and, and doing some of their best work. I, I'm curious, you know, where you feel like you are at your career, having had fought those guys already. And now, you know, you're fighting, like you said, it, it's kind of a first come first serve situation. You're kind of just fighting whoever they give to you. What are sort of your thoughts on, on where you fit right now in, in your career that has been, you know, really long and memorable? You've been in the UFC for 10 years. Yeah, so, you know, with my experience, you know, with the UFC, obviously changing owners, um, I know that for them it's all about performance, you know what I mean? And, you know, it takes one fight to, to get you back uh, on the right track, you know what I mean? So my goal is just to go out there and give uh, – uh, you know my best performance and uh, you know we'll see from there you know this is a this is going to be a, a fan favorite fight two, two guys uh, keeping on their feet going to be a striking you know he's going to be hungry because he wants to prove himself so uh, so it's going to be interesting you know i mean he, he's old enough to be be my kid you know what I mean? so <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see what's going to happen when, when fight night comes and is that weird, too, that, that you're sort of facing that, that new generation of people who came up in the sport? I mean, I know, obviously, you, you've got a background in martial arts as well, but you, you started sort of in Taekwondo and you started doing karate and stuff like that. There's there, These kids now have I've started in MMA, right? Like a lot of these guys, their first art was doing mixed martial arts. Is that sort of a, a weird changeover for you in, in the types of people, both both that you fight and train with? I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's great for the sport. It's a, it's a, a great evolution. You know, if you look back in combative sports, uh, you know, the Godfather, Bruce Lee, he was very uh, advanced, you know, for his time. You know, and uh, it, it's a great thing to see now. Finally, uh, MMA is, is gonna, it's becoming established, and you see the the youth starting to do mixed martial arts. I truly believe that. Uh, that's gonna. That's uh, you know. It's gonna be the next wave of uh, of uh, you know fighters and uh, the the next generations to come. You know, us. We just kind of uh, you know. We started. I started in traditional, you know, and uh, you know very structured and uh, you know very uh, uh, you know 
everybody kind of uh, all the different types of arts and different brackets. But now it's, people are starting to realize that, you know, there is not one good discipline. You have to know every discipline. And uh, as long as there, until there's a new type of being that has three legs and two, three arms, we're going to always, you know, we're going to always be fighting martial arts. You know, you have our, our body, we turn our body into a weapon and it's a form of expression, you know, so, uh, uh, so for me, it's uh, it's good to see the young the young generation uh, starting mixed martial arts, uh, and uh, and uh, you know what I mean. So for me, it's uh, it's, it's something that is good to see. Um, but you know, I don't really think much about it. You know, I've been doing this my whole life. I love challenges. I love fighting the young guys. You know, it keeps me sharp. And fighting for me, it's a, it's a spiritual thing. So so we'll see if on fight night who who who, who wants it more. And I know you said, too, for this fight, it is a fight that does come with a very fan-friendly style, right? Like you said, he hasn't fought anybody like you, but he does like to go to stand in there and bang. Is that sort of the fights that you prefer to come in and see? Do you prefer to come in and see a guy who you know wants to strike with you? Or do you like being the guy who who's the you know guy who previously was an undefeated kickboxer fighting a guy who thinks he can wrestle him? You know, the... What what is the do you have a preference at this point of your career? But here's the thing, you know. So it it is it's a fight game, it's a fighting, but it's also entertainment. And I believe that you know people don't want to see a, a grappling, they don't want to see a grappling match, you know. So uh, I mean, I'm very confident in wherever the fight goes. I'm very confident. Uh, I'm well, I'm very well rounded. You know, you look at you look at the you look at the numbers, you look at uh, stats. You know, it's very hard to take me down. I got submitted. Once from a guy who was on TRT and was three uh, three divisions three divisions bigger than me, where it was a mis- mismatch. But you know, fighting is fighting. You know, I mean, that's what makes us fighters. Police officers go into the crime scene. Fighter fighters go into the fire, and as we go into the fight, you know, that's what makes us fighters. It's not just about uh, trying to find a perfect matchup. It's it's uh, you know, it's all about adversity and uh, challenges. So. So that's why people love mixed martial arts because it's very unpredictable. Anything can happen. And, and I'm really glad you brought up that that you know sort of early stages of MMA you were in, and and I know you're referring to the fight with Dennis Hallman, uh, who, who badly missed weight in this fight with you. That was ten years ago. I, I'm curious. You know, you you seem to have a very sharp memory of of this stuff early in your career. Is there uh, is there a particular way you look back at that that early stuff? Like you said, it, it seems to almost be an entire different game now, and this is all about the journey. Is, is there is there something you think about that? Do you feel do you look back fondly at the early parts of your career? Do you wish you did stuff better? Like I, I mean, like I said, you've been in the fight game for almost thirteen years now, and that's just as a pro MMA fighter. I mean, yeah, for sure, my loss is always going to haunt me. It's always something that's going to be back in my head. Um, you know, no, every every athlete wants to be undefeated and you know, undisputed and win every match. But unfortunately, life doesn't work like that. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I mean, you know, <clears throat> if I look back in my career, there's some controversy losses. You know, if you look at the numbers and like uh, you know, uh, judges giving it to the giving it to my opponents. But I mean, the ten days to pass. But I did learn from them for sure. And uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm still in the UFC and most of those guys got cut. So what does that tell you? Yeah, and it certainly has been an amazing run, man. And and before I let you go here, too, 
I, I usually like to ask my fighters if they've got a prediction for how this one goes. It, it seems like you're maybe not the type of person who does predict uh, how these fights are going to go, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How do you see this one going down with Ignacio when you face off on April 10th? I think it's going to be a, a very aggressive fight. It's going to be very violent, and uh, I'm going to be looking for the knockout. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This is John McDessie, who fights Ignacio Brahamones at UFC in the Apex on April 10th. John, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Have a good day. Well, you hope you enjoyed that interview with John McDessie. I once again am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Joining me now is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we, we got to start here. We got to start with Francis Ngannou's performance this past weekend. Obviously, there are lots of changes that we saw to his game which one impressed you the most? Well, Gumby, not to be a stickler, I didn't see a lot of changes to his game. I saw one change to his game, and it was the most important change to his game, and it should scare every human being walking the planet. It, this man has takedown defense now. He sunk the hips. He tried to circle to the back. Very impressed with Francis Nagani's takedown defense. And if he could keep fights standing, I think we know how they're going to go. Yeah, but I would say, too, there is other changes, too. Like, he was notably way more patient, right? Like, his fight against Yair Rosenstruck, he rushed in like a crazy man, uh, throwing just wild strikes. He seemed calculated in there, and not just calculated in just, like, what strikes he was showing, throwing, but, like, in his urgency when he did tag uh, Stipe, because it did look like he tagged him a couple of times in round one and two, I saw there he looked, well, I'm not going to rush in and try to kill him now. I'll just wait because I'm going to do it later. Um, and I also think the leg kicks are something that got really, 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 really overlooked in the grand scheme of things, right? Because everybody was talking about, well, the knockout blow obviously was ridiculous. And the follow-up was also pretty painful. And like you said, people were other people were in on, you know, the fact that he lowered his hips. He, he even got a mat return in there in his takedown defense and like stuff like that. But I think people forgot that he threw a bunch of leg kicks in there, too, and had Stipe, if I'm not mistaken, a little wobbly on that lead leg, too. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. That's all very fair. And I will say this, too, for as scary as he looked last weekend, and I don't think there are a lot of people at heavyweight who could beat him, short of, like, you know, I mean, I, I don't anticipate that him or Derek Lewis would take it to the ground. And, you know, maybe Lewis could pull off some sort of magical uppercut and, and catches him because, you know, I, I'm sure at some point he will be tagged. But that all being said, I want to see how John Jones approaches him. Jones, such a smart fighter, so multidimensional in a lot of ways. Uh, I really actually want to see how he would try to solve, you know, the, the chess puzzle that is Francis Naganu. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because I feel like, at least in my opinion, John Jones's game, I, I don't feel matches up well against what we're talking about here, right? Because we just talked about Francis adding leg kicks. Uh, we we talked about Francis' takedown defense being adequate so that if, if Jones did decide he wanted to try to take it there, it's unlikely that it would work. Um, you know, Jones is a patient fighter who doesn't look to, like, go for the big knockout blow and tag people anymore, which, like you said, is probably the way that Francis is going to cease being champion. So... You know, like all three of those things sort of lead me to believe that, like, he, he would have to sit in there and, and hope for a five-round decision, which, you know, granted, he has been winning. But, I mean, if your game plan is to spend 25 minutes standing in a cage with Francis Ngannou, I, I feel like it's not the greatest game plan in the world. 
I yeah, I agree. I think where Jones would look, I think you're right. Like he would look to make it a 20 to 25 minute fight. Maybe try. I or actually I know for a fact try to finish him late. But you know, even if he couldn't handle the ta- the even if he couldn't throw a bunch of takedowns at him. I'm just so interested to see it. Guys like John Jones, Demetrius Johnson, GSP, and all their respective coaches are just at another level. For all I know, Johns is going to Muay Thai clinch him for 20 minutes, like something we're just not expecting. He's just one of those fighters. Anyway, I don't know. I, I just I can't wait to see that should it happen. Um, Gumby, <laughs> there, there are no fights this week. Uh, so we're breaking out. Our favorite segment on the show. Well, it's tied for our favorite on, segment on the show. It's a new edition of Combat Countdown. And this week's countdown, we're looking at the five potential, the top five potential next countries to gain a new champion in the UFC. So what we mean by that is, obviously, the USA and Brazil have had a million champions. Russia just recently got champions in Khabib and Piotr Jan. Uh, England has a champion in Michael Bisping, and we did this a few years ago, Gumby, and we are happy to say that, you know, we named Australia. Uh, we, in passing, mentioned a few different countries in Africa. Nigeria, Cameroon have now added champions, and now we're going to do a whole new list in this combat countdown. So the next country to gain a champion in the UFC, this will, of course, look at both the men's and women's side of the bracket, but Gumby, before we get to this combat countdown, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Combat Countdown. Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. So whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter. Log your training sessions, your competitions, your weigh-ins, and so much more while tagging friends and giving yourself a way to check on your goals each and every week, each and every month, all in the palm of your hand. Once again, that's Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. All right, so let's start, you know, we're doing a top five, and we're going to just cheat right off the top. Um, let's talk about an honorable mention, and it's uh, Kazakhstan, which is, I believe, where Borat's from. I could be wrong. But what fighters do we like from there that could potentially become champions? It, was he Kazakhstan or was he Uzbekistan? I feel really terrible not knowing this. but uh... I, I, think he, I think he was a made-up country of Kazakhstan, and we're talking about... Kazakhstan. I'm going to put the intern on this. Keep talking. <laughs> okay, so I'll talk about the actual real-life fighters and people who are actually for that country for a second. Kazakhstan I put in here as an honorable mention because they, they suddenly have a big influx of people coming to the UFC, and, and two of them particularly have caught my eye as being prospecty types, right? Shavkat Rachmanov is one of them that, that I've been high on even when he was outside of the UFC, when he was in M1 Global. He comes in, instantly chokes out Cowboy Oliveira in a round and, and to me, that automatically puts you in, like, the top 20 to 25 in that welterweight division. Now, we haven't seen him since. It's been a little bit of a layoff. But he's, like, a very prospecty type person for me. I'm super excited for where he might go. I'm also going to add Maria Agapova in here. I know a bunch of people are down on her after that loss to Shayna Dobson, who's since been fired. But I think we can certainly write that off as kind of like a prospect loss where, you know, she learned a little bit about herself. She she doesn't have the greatest gas tank in the world and she shouldn't go balls to the wall nonstop for the first three minutes until she's tired. So I actually have, have high hopes for her. They also have Sergey Morozov and, and Zaga Zumagulov. Bo- both of those two, you know, haven't gotten off to the greatest starts, which is probably why we have them as an honorable mention and none of them are in the rankings yet. So 
I just think Kazakhstan is worth mentioning because they're, they're right on the edge there. You know, I legit thought <laughs> originally when Borat came out, I thought it was a made-up country, and it was not. It sure as heck was Kazakhstan. Nice! So Borat will be rooting for all the people we're talking about here today. All right, let's actually get to our real top five. Uh, we're going to start with number five. We have someone very close to a title shot, potentially, uh, and I don't think, you know, we even considered them when we did this two years ago. Number five, Italy. Yeah, and I'm going to say Italy, but I am going to say it with a little bit of a caveat here because for me, it's Marvin Vittori or bust for Italy. That's why it comes in here at five. Don't get me wrong. There's probably some super hype prospects and out there in the Italian scene, and there, there's other people in the UFC. It's not like these two that I'm about to mention are the only Italians in the UFC, but like, Marvin Vittori is, what, number five or six in the middleweight division. He's got that split decision loss to Israel Desanya. He's knocking on that door. He was originally supposed to be fighting Darren Till, not this upcoming weekend, but the weekend after on our next card on UFC on ABC. Till has since fallen out, which is obviously going to hurt uh, Marvin Vittori's strength of schedule whenever this fight does, you know, whoever he winds up fighting, because he's not going to fight somebody better than Darren Till. So I'd say Marvin Vittori is kind of the boomer bust prospect here, but the the next one being Alessio DeCirico, who was, I think he had lost three straight before he got that win over Joaquin Buckley. He's so far away and probably not somebody we're ever going to see sniff a title shot. So because they've got one high up-ish person, they wind up on the list, but ultimately the depth there is probably not something to write home about. Yeah, I agree with you that in the interim or in the short term, it's not, and this is really Marvin Vittori or Bust, but I will say that if we were making this list or doing an adjustment and saying, like, who are countries on the rise, they do have a lot of different Italian promotions. I think the UFC just signed to fight Golden past Cage. Golden Cage. Yeah. yeah. And I think even if Vittori were to get to a title shot and lose, being Italian myself, we're very proud people. He's inspiring a whole generation of young Italians to go into MMA. So that's where I probably go long on Italy, even though maybe in the short term it's Marvin Vittori or Bust. Yeah, and I think um, you're going to see another one of them on our list here as another country that fits under what you're saying right now. Now that it's gotten the ball rolling, uh, it's going to be an absolute home run, you know, maybe a generation from now. But you'll see that a little bit later on the list. I love it. A little tease. Let's get to number four. Uh, and they were actually on our list last time. They're always producing quality fighters, but have yet to have a champion. And some of the guys we'll talk about here, we talked about two years ago as well, but number four, South Korea. Yeah, so South Korea, it, it's a weird one for us because, uh, you know, they, they keep having these guys who are hot prospects and disappear for their obligatory uh uh, military military service. Yeah, and that sucks, right? Like, we've actually lost some of the best years of these guys. But for me, they've got to be on this list because, in my opinion, Korean Zombie is probably right along with Marvin Vittori and how close he is to a title shot, right? Like, they're neck and neck. So they've already got the guy as close as Italy. But then you got name, like, names like Kyung Ho Kang, which I feel like not enough people know the name Kyung Ho Kang. That dude is on a three-fight winning streak, which is pretty damn impressive in his own right. We had Duhu Choi, who, who like, you know, while he, again, has had some time away from the cage and his last performance didn't look so great, I mean, like, everybody's going to remember that Cub Swanson fight, and it's only going to take him a couple of wins to get him really moving up that division. He was young at the time as well. Uh, I also want to just shout out Yi Jiang Kim, because I, I like her a lot, too. The, the unfortunate loss to Alexa Grasso 
was kind of a bummer. That, that was a terrible matchup to throw her in. But, you know, she's a top 15 type person, maybe just outside now due to the loss. But, like, yeah, there, there's depth there with South Korea. They are always are churning out good fighters. Um, and with somebody as close as Korean Zombie, it would have been silly to not put them on the list. You know, you bring up the mandatory military service, which also is uh, reminds me of a country that we had in our thought for honorable mention, but we just didn't think they had the depth and certainly not in the UFC as much as Kazakhstan did. But uh, speaking of mandatory military service, there's also Israel. And obviously Bellator had a once hot prospect in Noah Lahat. He's had a loss here uh, most recently in 2020, maybe taken a little bit uh, hit to his prospect status, trains with the Danaher death squad. But that's another one in the long term with Israel. You know, they're a fighting people. I believe their military just made it mandatory that you have to become a purple belt in BJJ, which is so near and dear to my heart, I can't even tell you. Um, But you you brought up mandatory military service, and I just thought of them as well and thought they were worth a mention. They've also got got another guy in Bellator, too, who we've actually had on the show, too, Aziz Ghazali, who uh, I hope I'm remembering his name. He had that crazy, like, 30-second Imanari roll or three-second. Yeah, Yeah. turned it right into a heel hook and, and finished immediately. And he fought on the same card as his dad, who also won that night, too. So, um, yeah, you're right, Israel. And also, if I'm not mistaken, and this could be my memory misserving me, you mentioned the name Nahod Lahat. I'm fairly certain he also fought in the UFC for, like, a quick cup of coffee while he went, like, 0-2. But while we you introduce the next group, I'm going to put the intern on that one. Yeah, so the next group is we, you know, made a little bit of a special exception, and while we're always doing countries, in this case, we're actually just going to do the state of Georgia from the U.S. <laughs> just kidding. We're actually doing the country of Georgia. We love our Eastern Bloc fighters. Very interested to hear about what Georgia, the country, not the state, but Georgia, the country, has in store for us. So before I get into that, I am I did look it up. Noel Lahat has fought four times in the UFC. He went two and two, including beating Steven Seiler. Um Although both of his losses were by flying knee knockout, which is uh, maybe one of the most ridiculous lines I've ever seen. Um, No, let's start talking about Georgia. So first of all, Georgia, not in the same place as those first two countries is with having one bell cow at the top, right? Korean Zombie, Marvin Vittori, both closer than any Georgian fighter to a title shot. But we're going with pure volume here because Georgia has got a ton of people who are knocking on the door. Marab Devalishvili is on a crazy win streak. He just came off of beating John Dodson. He's looking great. The Bantamweight division is lucky to have Marab Devalishvili, or unlucky depending on who you are. Giga Chikadze is right on the edge of that featherweight division. He's a top 15 guy and right on the edge. And his countryman is in the same division as him with Ilya Torpuria. Ooh, I almost got through all of those names fine. Uh, and Torpuria is is fighting Ryan Hall next. So, like, we, we've got Marab, who's almost top 10. Giga, who's almost top 15. Torpuria, who's getting a top 15 opponent in Uriah Hall. And then also you got names like Roman Delizzi, who, of course, is coming off that loss against Trevin Giles last time out. Leanna Jojua. You got Guram Kutataladze. Like, all of those guys are in the UFC. I think Kutataladze is 1-0 in the UFC. So uh, all of those guys give you just this like wild volume. And I think it's just going to keep happening because it's a, another one of those countries that I think has had the fighters, but maybe if there hasn't been, I, I don't think there's been the pathway for them to get to the UFC, right? Like people from Texas come by LFA, people from, you know, Belgium and in, in the UK and, and stuff come by cage warriors. I think until we had some, some countries like, like brave CF, 
there wasn't a good way to get Georgia fighters experience and knowledge and, and seen. And now they're being seen more than ever in, in the UFC scooping them up. And man, I mean, between Giga and Taporia and Tavalashvili, the results have just been wild. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because do you remember in our last list, we had whales on our list. We really, we were <laughs> high on Welsh fighters. Um, but that had to have you know, been just Brett Johns uh, driven, right? Brett, Brett Johns. And he's still great. He might win a Bellator title, but like, yeah, I, I think I was probably higher on Brett Johns than I needed to be. Yeah, I you know, and it's just funny, though, like there are all these smaller type countries now in Europe that I think are also being seen and MMA becoming global. It's just a really cool thing to see that now, you know, Georgia fighters might have more of a pathway to the UFC than they did even five years ago and certainly more than 10 years ago. And that uh, kind of plays into our next one which country that had typically been very anti-MMA, there was a judo federation uh, or union that had a lot of power and tried to keep MMA out of the country. Well, times they are changing. We have evolved. And now the country of France comes in number two on our list. Yeah, so first we should talk about the fact that we didn't include Francis Naganu as French. He was born in Cameroon. So we are talking strictly about people who were born in the country. And, and for me, for France, yeah, again, this is similar to the South Korea-Italy one where we have a super prospect, right? Surreal game is as close as can be to a title. He's probably got one more fight against somebody like Derek Lewis before he gets that title shot. And heck, of the people I expect to give Derek Lewis trouble that aren't named Francis Naganu. Surreal Game might be the one who I'd pick to go up against him. He's he's very cautious, very careful, um, and he's a very technical striker. So, you know, I think him being there, and he's even closer than Korean Zombie and Marvin Vittori, in my opinion, gives them a little boost. But the other thing is, is while, you know, Marvin Vittori had almost nobody after him, you know, Korean Zombie had some people, but they were kind of in the 25 to 30 range in their division. France has got a prospect in Manon Firo who I could not be higher on. If you haven't seen her debut, go back and watch it. She's an absolute killer in many different regards. She has a very short record. If you look at it, I believe she's 5-1 and one or 6-1 and one or 5-0 and oh or 6-0, and oh, somewhere in that range. But she has a very extensive amateur background, and you can tell that that amateur MMA, she fought in the IMMAFs and all that kind of stuff, has clearly paid off. She looks like an absolute killer. Um, so th they have that going for them with like another super prospect. I also am, could not get a, a clear answer if Nasoruddin Imovov is actually born in Russia or he's born in France. If he's born in France, I'd like to tack him on there. If he's born in Russia, we'll sort of wash our hands of the fact that I ever mentioned him. But he, he's another one who, you know, wears a French flag as he comes in, but he has the nickname the Russian Sniper. And I couldn't really make odds and ends of where he's from. Um, you know, and the, the UFC's got other French fighters in Ferry Zayn, but I think what you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about Italy, all of this and the fact that they just got regulated and they just are allowed to have fights there, I think you're going to see a boom in it, right? Like you've probably been seeing, you know, French judokas and French kickboxers and stuff like that. Now those people are going to be allowed to make the transition to MMA and, and people like Surreal Gain and even Francis Naganu and Firo, they're all going to inspire that next generation. So... Um, even if the ones who I have here listed are not the ones that do it, there's going to be people who are coming out of the woodwork soon. 
you know, I want to stick in Europe and move a little further north to the uh, Nordic nations. We had Sweden on our list last time. Uh, you know, Gus never reached the championship potential that I think a lot of people thought he could. I guess you could count Chimiev as Swedish as well, but really we always go by birth country, so he'd be Russian, and Russia has already, um, you know, gotten their champion most recently with Khabib, as predicted in our last top five list before they had even had a champion. Uh, they actually fell in at number one or two, so we were right on that. But, you know, it's just interesting to see how countries kind of rise and fall with this when looking through the view of their MMA fighters. But this brings us all to number one, uh, and we're pretty high on them. Obviously, we're making them number one, and they have a lot of depth, and they have someone who's close to a title shot, uh, and that's Mexico. So, yeah, Mexico obviously has to be number one. They've got Brandon Marino in a title shot right now, right? He just came off that draw in a title fight. He's as close as you could possibly have to being a champion without being a champion, right? He's got the Gray Maynard status about him. He's a guy who, who we know is in the next title fight. So it'd be silly for us not to put them at one. But in addition to that, they have other people, too, who are, who are right at that, that level of the Korean Zombie, of Marvin Vittori, of Surreal Gain. That's maybe in, like, the, like, number five-ish range, right? And Yair Rodriguez, he's in the same division as, as Korean Zombie. And, hey, he's looked pretty good, too. Granted, he has had a long layoff. There's that question about, like, is he currently serving a USADA suspension or is he not? Nobody seems to know. Uh, obviously, that's a holdup for him. But, you know, they've got the guy in the title fight. They got him, and then they got somebody like Alexa Grasso, who we mentioned before, put a stamping on Yi on Kim. She's absolutely incredible. I, I've loved watching her move up to flyweight because a lot of people thought she wasn't meeting her potential at strawweight. You know, and I, I think every fighter should probably move up a weight class at some point in time because some of them are killing them to make their current weight class. But I think Alexa Grasso has shown that just like this move for her was the right move. And I think she's going to give a lot of people trouble at flyweight. So you got all three of those who are, are top tier prospects there for the title, including one who's actually already in it. And then you got people like Alejandro Perez and, and Jose Alberto Quinanez. And like, you know, you're seeing more and more pop up all the time. You know, I mentioned LFA has got a couple of fighters who are Mexican who might be coming over. You're going to keep seeing Mexican fighters pop up again and again. Also, before we get all kinds of hate in our inbox, Cain Velasquez was born in the U.S. Tito Ortiz was born in the U.S., you can try to count them if you want. They fly a Mexican flag. But again, we're doing this from birthplace. So Mexico still without a champion. And uh, we're going to say that they're the next one to get one. I really like it. So just to review this, we had an honorable mention of Kazakhstan and kind of Israel down, way down the list. But they don't have enough UFC depth yet. Number five, Italy. Number four, South Korea. Number three, Georgia. Number two, France. And number one with a bullet. And we feel very strong on just because of depth. Also, it's a large population. Um, it has high visibility, you know, next to the USA, uh, near Vegas, even if you want to go that far. And that's Mexico, obviously. And it's just interesting, Gumby. I love when we do these types of lists. You know, Japan, still not on our top five, even though they've had a million UFC fighters. Just a reminder, we're going off, you know, UFC uh, title lineages. We're not going off early super fights or anything like that. And I do want to just point out for people who are into this, if you're an MMA nerd like us and maybe even a geography nerd like us, Brazil still doesn't have a welterweight champion. That's the one men's division that saluted them. And obviously women's flyweight has also eluded Brazil, but that's a very new division. Uh, USA has a champion in every division you can name. And since we did our list two years ago, it's just cool to me that, you know, Australia, Nigeria, uh, Russia, have added their championship, uh, you know, their champions to the list. 
And I can't wait to see Netherlands, too, actually, with women's featherweight, which is just such a weird division. Um, but I just can't wait they to had see, Boss you Rutan, know, though. They had Boss Rutan already. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, Belarus had your boy Andre Arlovsky. So those are kind of uh, niche ones. Poland uh, added light heavyweight. So it's just cool to see as the sport grows globally. I just can't wait to do this again in two years and see, you know, what countries have added a champion. Absolutely. And I, I think, too, those those you mentioned and, and you know, look at our list. It, it's filled with them. Those small European countries are going to be on the up and up. You know, like I, I know there are some fighters out there, including somebody who fought for a Cage Warriors title recently and Donovan Desme, who who are good Belgian fighters. Like there's a couple of good Belgians out there. Um, so, like, you're, you're going to see countries like that on the up and up. And I think, you know, you'll, you'll see it more and more as as they continue to run events out there and promotions out there and things like that. Um, but yeah, as the UFC gets more global, you're going to see more and more of these types of things popping up. Boom. I love it. And if you enjoyed this, we hope you did. Please do us a favor. Go write a review on iTunes. Follow the show on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Ditto for IG. We love bringing you this content. We hope you enjoy it too. Gumby, where do we go next in the show? Who's up? And coming up next is my interview that I mentioned at the top of the show with Hunter Azure as he gets ready for his upcoming contest against Jack Shore. So make sure to tune into that right now. All right, and joining me today is Hunter Azure who fights Jack Shore at UFC in the Apex on April 10th. So, Hunter, I'm going to ask you a question first, and this might get a little bit too much into game planning for you. So if, if I'm asking you to divulge too much, feel free to let me know, but... I was looking back at your stats, and you shot just one takedown in your first two UFC bouts. In your last one, you shot eight, and you scored five, and you looked damn good in a win over Cole Smith. Was there sort of a conscious decision to sort of go back to your base, which is wrestling, or or was this kind of just the circumstances that, that happened in the fight? Um, it was... It was just me needing to get back at I was I was trying to strike too much in my fights really. So it was just me getting back to my roots and finding my wrestling and just trying to get comfortable with that and striking and just mixing it all together. Um I was just being too favorative of one style in each fight and instead of just mixing it more. So just trying to combine that together. It's a mixed martial arts fight, so yeah, it's got to be prepared all over. And, and I've heard that from a lot of people who are wrestling, too. You know, you have some success on the feet. You start to feel good with it. Uh, and and you, you fancy yourself, and you fancy yourself a little bit of a striker. Was was there something that dawned on you that made you feel that maybe that wasn't the case and that you did have to go back to your roots? Um. Yeah, I mean, I came from wrestling, so I, I got to stick to what got me there. But... um. But I, but, I, but I love fighting, and it's it's fun to strike, too. So I, I got to remember, I got to go out there to win and be smart. So I, I got to use my striking and wrestling as it's needed. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I, I know, too, there was also a camp change in there at some point in time for you. You had previously been training at the lab, and I know some of their, their staff wound up over at Fight Ready, and now you're at Fight Ready as well do you attribute any of those changes and in, in sort of the fact that you did look better both in the wrestling department and in the striking department in your last fight, is some of that due to that change? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have great coaches here at fight ready now 
and they've been putting a lot of time and uh, work into me. So uh, it was nothing personal about change. It was just where I felt more comfortable and where I felt like I needed to grow. And it was a heavy wrestling gym with a lot of wrestlers there. So I just wanted to stick to my roots and just had to go with my heart from there. Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense, too. Now, I did want to ask you a question, too. I know leading into your last uh, your last fight that you picked up the win over Cole Smith, I know you, you had your first kid, right? You, you had your, your son. Did that change sort of the feeling you had in your, your the cage as you sort of, you know, were representing your, your full family at that point rather than, you know, just you and your fiancé? Did, did it feel different in there when you were fighting? Um... No, not so much as I was in there fighting, but through the camp and just waking up to him every day and seeing him and having a family, it just drove me and made me get get my butt to practice and work hard. And um, But in the fight, I mean, you just get so focused and uh, ready to do your job that there's not a lot of that going on in your mind. Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I, I know obviously leading into this camp too, you're you're in that same position again, and, and he's a little bit older. Is is it more fun that that you can sort of maybe? I mean, maybe he's not to the age where you're bringing him around yet, but you're you're allowed to like do a little bit more with him in regards to you know having him around during those times. Oh yeah, for sure. Like it's fun to bring him into the gym a little bit when when I have time and. Uh, the fiance will bring him through sometimes and watch. It's just it's fun to watch him have his free time in there, and he enjoys it. But I, but uh, it's another good thing I'm, I'm excited about is uh, I fight the same day as his first birthday, so we got to spend a little time out there after the fight and give him a good first birthday. Absolutely, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Giving him a, maybe even a performance bonus in there and a little extra check for daddy. So oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about that fight a little bit too because you're getting offered here jack short and, and let me tell you something you know the the media seems to love jack short he's a guy who's undefeated he's 13 and 0 he's coming from wales so obviously he's got that country behind and, and you've got a fair amount of hype behind yourself as as well but you know you're you're two and one in the ufc were you surprised when they offered you sort of this big hyped prospect uh it, it, for your next fight uh, no, I wasn't surprised at all, and I was looking, I actually liked the matchup, and we were looking into it already, so it was a big surprise. Um, I I know if, I, I know I could be up there with the top and the best of them, so uh, and, uh, I'll fight anyone and just continuing to grow and get that experience, so, I mean, he's 13 and 0, he, he's a tough kid. Uh, no one's cracked that code yet, so it's going to be fun to be the first one and just continue to grow myself from there. Absolutely. And you mentioned in there, too, that that you sort of liked the matchup and that you had already been thinking about him as a potential opponent because, you know, you guys are relatively in the same spot in the division. What mm-hmm. What drew you to him as a potential opponent? What drew you to him as somebody who you were targeting for maybe a matchup? Um, just his record, um, like you said, the media has a lot of hype behind him and people know him. So it's just wanting to get some more exposure for myself as well. But, um, I just feel like I'm better than him in all areas and 
it's just, it's just, I mean, it's a play game. We got to go out there and put it all on the line that night and prove, prove our points to each other. Absolutely. And, and before I do let you go too, I, I do always like to ask my fighters before uh, I do let them off the hook. Do you have a prediction? How do you see this one going for against Jack Shore? Uh, man, I'm always ready to go all rounds, but I got, um, I've been getting more patient and stuff, so I can see myself getting finished. Um, I just got to let it present itself, and you can see it. I played out in the second round a lot, so. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Hunter Azure, who fights Jack Shore at UFC in the Apex on April 10th. Hunter, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our mothership, CagesidePress.com. Make sure you check out all of our stuff over there. And we want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and BetterThan.Vegas. Make sure to check out our picks over on BetterThan.Vegas. And also make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA. Until next week. I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.